Oh, much better. So you are there. If you have a Bible, you can go to 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. And as you're turning there, it is almost Halloween. Have you heard? I, I know it's going to be a weird Halloween. I can't wait. I was thinking this week, I can't wait to see how Halloween becomes part of the COVID-19 controversy this year. Like, I'm ex- just expecting craziness. Like, I will discover that the virus spreads through candy corn, but not M&Ms. I, I was thinking about, like, how those people are going to start some protests over whether the masks the kids are wearing are N95s or not. I was thinking about that. Um, some, something, something. We're, we're going to even have kids, I bet, walking around like adults in their life going, you know, this Halloween mask thing, just some part of a bigger conspiracy to ruin the economy. Not, thanks. You're the only one laughing right now. All right. So it's almost Halloween. And for me, Halloween is all about cravings. It's the one time of year that we lie to ourselves because we get to buy really good candy that we say we're going to give away. And then we end up just hanging on to it and eating it. We give the stuff we don't like away, but we eat the stuff we do. It's, the, it's the, also the time of year, I hope, that we maybe the only time of year that we steal from our kids. Right, parents? Are you with me? Like, kids, you got to go to bed, and then they wake up the next morning, they're like, where'd my Reese's Cups go? Like, that's, that's what happens. So for me, Halloween draws out these cravings. Like, the two biggest things I crave, and I, and I brought some of these today. The two biggest things I crave, we'll see if that'll hold there, are these. I know, no judgment, okay? Any nerds, fans? Couple of any, anybody have strong feelings against nerds? Sorry about that. You got you to gotta deal with it. I, I brought some chocolate, too. I don't ever crave chocolate, but I brought chocolate. If you want to fight my wife, she does like these. Um, and then the, the thing that I crave more than anything, and I actually went to buy a big bag of these this morning because I wanted to show you, and this is work expenses, right? So I can, I can write these off. But when I got there, there were no big bags of candy corn left. I was blown away. Anybody hate candy corn? I know there are strong feelings about how many, how many of you love candy corn? Okay, okay, all right. So that must be why it's sold out. So Carrie stopped and got me, and I had this whole illustration about a big bag of candy corn. So you're going to have to pretend this is a big bag. This was all she could find, and if you love it, you can't have it because it's mine. Um, that's, that's what I crave, I, and, and I'm, I, I'm preaching this today because I wanted to buy these things. That's really what I, what I wanted to get with was the nerds and, and candy corn. I love the corn syrup, the full-blown preservatives. I'm, I'm good with that. Like, you drop a nerd, you pick it up a month later, it's still good, right? Like, we are safe. And, and chocolate's okay, but it melts, right? So we get these, these cravings at Halloween, but I bet, I bet you're like me, and you get these cravings all year long. Like some of you, maybe it's popcorn, right? Salt, anybody more of a salt fan? Or um, Carrie, it's chips and salsa, it's chocolate, like whatever it is, we, we've got to have it. When I, I get weird cravings when I go on a long run, I, I crave a baked potato at the end. I don't know why, that just happens. But it's so good. And some days I, I really want good tacos. Like it's amazing how often I, I crave things. But here's the thing that I was thinking about this week. This is the bad part of our cravings. Our, our cravings can backfire on us, can't they? Like, like they can, like, like candy corn. I know there are mixed opinions on candy corn, but, but I think it's amazing. And the problem is I could buy that big bag of candy corn you're pretending is here today. And, and I could, like that bag should last me a week. Are you with me? Like a big bag of candy corn should last at least a week. Some of you like six months, right? Yeah, I, it should. And, and I should just grab a few pieces and then move on and let it go. But if I get that bag, which God protected me this morning because it wasn't available, it's usually going to be gone if I'm on good behavior within two days, right? Like that's, that's where it goes. I know I'm a sinner saved by grace. Keep your judgment to yourself. I, 
if I'm on bad behavior, it's gone in a few hours. Like you, how many of you have things like that? If it's not candy corn, you got some things that if you put them in your house, they're gone. It's just better. And when we do that to ourselves, here's what happens. The cravings backfire. Because believe me, personal experience, we will suffer the consequences of too much candy corn. It happens, right? And, and, or too many nerds or too much of whatever our cravings convinced us we couldn't live without. We will pay the price. And here's the thing. Let's say whatever you crave, you had too much of it. You devoured the whole bag of candy corn or whatever it was, and it came back with revenge, and you pay the price. But did you ever notice this? Did you ever notice that, like, two days later, your memory of how the consequences affected you, it's, it's gone, like, that memory goes away. Like, we're forgetful when it comes to consequences. When our cravings backfire, we're really good at forgetting the consequences and standing in that same candy aisle going, man, candy corn, it's delicious, right? Like, that's what I do today. I want to talk to you about the consequences of our cravings. I want to talk about the trouble with kings, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. We, we've been in a series for these past few weeks that we've called Citizens, and we're talking about, again, the politics of Jesus, the kingdom of God. And we're doing this as we lead up to this national election. You can, you can feel the stress. You can feel the anxiety. You see it on social media, the conflict, the tension among our political leaders and our candidates and our social media ambassadors. Like, like we, we have all that going on. And as we're watching this happen, we're having our own conversation here about how we, as followers of Jesus in such a wild political realm, can continue to stay faithful. And so I've asked you a couple questions over the last two weeks. The first week, I asked you this question. I said, are you willing to evaluate your politics through the filter of your faith rather than create a version of your faith that supports your politics? We've got to be honest about that question. We've got to be willing to deal with that question. And then the second week, last week, I asked you this question. Are you willing to let your political positions, your postures, your opinions be led by love? Can we always keep love at the forefront of what we believe politically? Today... I want to ask you another question, but not quite yet. We're going to get to that question. Instead, as we start, I want you to think about how our cravings relate to the rest of our lives. Because here's what I know. We all, as humans, crave more than food, don't we? Like, we crave more than food. Food's pretty strong, but we crave more than food. We have a craving for relationships. We crave affection, approval, connection, love, support, encouragement. We want to relationally be seen and known by someone else. We crave safety, so we crave financial security, the sense of protection, the chance to grow. We crave those things. We crave stuff, right? Like we crave material possessions. I don't know if you're like me. Guys, I see something, and I will figure out a way to suddenly have enough money to get it. We crave status. We crave approval, being seen, mattering. And I think in our world today, we crave being right. We talked about that last week, the argument culture. We want to be right. We want to win the arguments. We want to have that superiority, that justification. And all of those cravings, I think, play into our politics. These are normal, natural parts of being human, but they also have consequences. And they've had consequences for centuries. Because we are part of a global humanity who, just like my pursuit of candy corn, can take our cravings too far. And we often suffer because our cravings get the best of us, especially political. I, I, I read an article this week about our political cravings, and I loved what the author said. The author said this, as the election season heats up, have you noticed it's heating up? As the election season heats up, many Americans are attached to their opinions or their cravings. 
especially their political ones, as if they, and listen to this, as if they were their life savings. They obsess over their beliefs like lonely misers and lash out angrily when they are threatened. This is the source of much suffering for the politically obsessed and everyone else. Have you felt this, right? Like, think about this. We know it's true. Let me give you some examples of this. There was a Dutch study in 2017, and they said that a person's well-being fell by 6% for every additional TV news program they watched per week. That's how much their well-being fell. In 2014, people who were, quote, very interested in politics were about 8% more likely to be, quote, not very happy about life than those very interested in politics. One writer said that people are, are building relationships. They're dating and, 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 and connecting with each other out of romance more often now by political viewpoints. So if you look at dating profiles, political views are comparable in importance to education levels. This reflects a belief that people's votes are a proxy for their character and morals. That's what we tend to believe now. 1958, I thought this was so fascinating. In 1958, 33% of Democratic parents wanted their daughter to marry a Democrat. And 25% of Republicans. The Republicans were kind back then. We don't care, whatever. In 2016, 60% of Democrats wanted a Democratic in-law. And Republicans, 63% of you all went. That's, that's what happened, right? Yeah, one in six Americans stopped talking to a friend or family member because of the 2016 election. I have a friend who called me. He said, my, my, my sister is getting divorced because her husband voted for this candidate. No kidding. No kidding. Think about it. We're living in a climate where our very happiness, our closest relationships are deeply intertwined with whether we have a candidate, a party, or a platform that wins in an election season. And I think all of this points to an, a, a principle that I want to show you today that the scriptures tell us. And the scriptures tell us there has always been trouble with kings. See, we crave kings as humans or queens, whatever. We crave those leaders. I, I, I want to look at a scripture today that shows us this trouble. See, I want you to see a few scenes from the country, the nation of Israel that God had chosen, and then draw out some insights and questions for us in regards to our own political cravings. If you were to go back and you were to look at the first five books of the Bible, the first five books of the Old Testament, you would see Genesis. And Genesis is kind of the prologue. It's the creation story. And then you would move to Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and all those books, the Torah, spell out for us the story of God rescuing his people, Israel, from slavery in Egypt. He rescued his people from a nation driven by a king, Pharaoh. Pharaoh's wealth, his power, his status, his achievement had all been built on the backs of Israelite Slaves, And so we see that in Exodus. Then in Leviticus through Deuteronomy, we see God forming his people around his law. He's teaching them through the law how to live as free people. Then you move to Joshua and Judges, and you see God not forming his people, but now establishing his people. They're fighting for their land. They're establishing themselves as a nation. And then we move to Ruth, and you see God preserving his people, rescuing them. And that's when we come to 1 Samuel. And 1 Samuel is God shepherding his people. And see, 1 Samuel starts, if you were to read the first few chapters, 1 Samuel starts with the failure of this man named Eli, the priest, and his sons. And they're, the, Eli is replaced with the good priest, Samuel, who leads Israel. And I want you to understand this. In 1 Samuel, and I'm giving you this background because you've got to have this to get where we're going to go today. Israel, in 1 Samuel, is a people established. And politically, they are led by a priest and not by a king. 
God is their king. They didn't need a king. They had God as their king, and they had a priest to shepherd them, to pastor them. This, this, this priest would protect them. He helps restore. If you read Samuel, Samuel helps restore the ark of God's presence. He brings this holy thing back to their, their land. They're living in freedom, and yet these people, as we'll see, crave something more. And Samuel is aging, and the people of Israel don't like Samuel's son. So look at 1 Samuel 8, verse 4. Here's, here's what it says. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, you are old. Isn't that great when you're a leader and they're like, you're old. We're done with you, right? And your sons do not follow your ways. And then listen to this. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. Now there's a lot going on here. I want you to pause and see this. The elders are the ones with the cravings. The leaders of the people of Israel are the ones with the cravings. These are the wisest, the wealthiest, the leaders of the country. And they are asking for a king, and they're asking to be led in the same way as all the other nations with a king. Now remember this. Remember what we just said. The Israelites had experienced life in the other nations. They had lived in Egypt as slaves under Pharaoh, the Egyptian king. The Israelites had fought bloody battles with the other nations and their kings to find their way to freedom. They had seen the consequences of having kings in other nations, and yet they found themselves longing here, can you just make us like all those other nations, the ones that held us as slaves, the ones that we fought in battle? Because, I think, we as humans are always drawn to look for the great individual, aren't we? Isn't that human nature, right? Like, this is, this is why celebrities sell products. Nobody's ever asked me to be on a commercial. It just hasn't happened, right? This is why we have athletes like LeBron James and Tom Brady driving the marketing of entire leagues of professional sports. It is, to our human nature, not enough for us to say simply, we just love watching the team. We don't know any of them. We don't function like that. We need super individuals. This is why comic books exist, why most of the heroes in the Marvel Universe lead their own isolated lives. This is why Superman, Wolverine, all those heroes tend to exist best on their own because they are the heroes of their world, the kings of their world. We long as humans for the great individual to lead us, especially, especially when we reject the great God who leads us. Look at verse 7 of this chapter. The Lord told him, the Lord told Samuel, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It's not you they have rejected, but they've rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Now this is so fascinating to me, and it so tells us the character of God as we see him throughout Scripture. God is, friends, don't miss this, God is gentle. He is not weak, but he is gentle. He tells Samuel, this upset priest, let them have their king. Listen, as someone who's been doing ministry for a long time, this moment drives me crazy. If I was God in this moment, I would send a little mini plague or something, right? Like I would wake these people up with some holy smiting. Like that would be my approach. Like you don't need a king, you have the king. 
I've wanted to do that, right? I see people throwing their lives away, making poor decision after poor decision. I see people flaking out on their relationship with Christ, slowly drifting from their relationship to the church and slowly rejecting obedience to Jesus. And I want to shake them. I want them to wake up and see what they're missing out on. But you know what? The God we serve is gentle enough to allow us to experience our desires, our cravings, in order to experience his grace. I think sometimes we have to realize what our desires cost us to realize what we've forfeited. You ever made a bad purchase? You ever ended up with buyer's remorse? You thought you needed that thing that you saw on the infomercial at midnight, and you purchased it, and you got it, and you just knew it was going to bring so much happiness to your life, and all it did was empty your bank account. Like, that's all that happens to us. Jesus never, friends, Jesus never chases people in the scriptures. I don't know if you've ever seen that. He never begs them. Jesus never runs up to somebody and goes, please come back to my church. Please don't leave. We'll change. We'll preach differently. We'll have different music. We'll change our kids' program. Jesus never does that. He's gentle. And so he tells Samuel, listen to their desires. Don't take it personally. Warn them of the consequences, but let them be. And God says, and I love this, let them know what the king who reigns over them will claim as his rights. You're going to have buyer's remorse with this king, he says. This is a powerful statement. It points to the trouble with kings. So I think Samuel, swallowing his anger, releases these things and obeys God direction, God's direction. And he speaks to the people. Here's what he says in verse 11. He, he says, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. Here's the consequences of kings. Here's what he says. Look at the next part. He will take your sons and he will make them serve with his chariots and his horses and they will run in front of his chariots. You know what a chariot was in this world? They were the tanks of their day. They were the war machines. Some he will sign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. When we get kings, we will have systems built through war. We will have empires built through violence. He goes on in verse 13, he says, He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Aren't you glad we live in a world where we don't get tired? Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. He's talking about the consequences of kings. Systems of oppression and exploitation, the empire, listen friends, always becomes stronger through the disparity of its people. Inequality under kings is always exacerbated. Taxes, exploitation, the kings of the earth will always exploit those who originally craved their leadership. Give us a king and then watch the king take advantage of us. Friends, it doesn't matter what king or party wins, they will always take advantage of the slaves to their system. He goes on in verse 18, when that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you've chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Can I say this to you? God will allow the consequences of our cravings. How unfair would it be for me to eat a whole bag of candy corn and then as I'm sick go, God, why did you let this happen to me? And yet that's what we think, politically I think. And in spite of all this, the people chased their cravings. Look at the last couple verses, verse 19. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations. And then listen to this. With a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. That's what they want. 
Their cravings took them away. Listen, their cravings took them away from the reality. God was their king. God had led them. God had already fought their battles. If you were to go back and study the book of Exodus, there's this moment where the people are coming out of slavery, and they're scared to death that they're going to get swallowed up by Pharaoh and his soldiers, and they're fearful, and they don't know what to do. And they're standing in the face going, Moses, God, what are we going to do? How do we react to this? And in Exodus 14, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. And watch, stand firm, and you will see the, the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Now watch, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And this nation of people that had seen the Lord fight for them stands before their priests now in First Samuel saying, we want a king to fight our battles for us. And Samuel had to be going, you have a king. You have the king who's fought your battles, who's brought you out of slavery, who's led you to freedom. And so here's my question today, right? Here's the key question that I want you to wrestle with in our political conversation. Are you willing to sacrifice your desire for the king or queen that you would elect to submit to the king who elected you? Are you willing to sacrifice your desire, your obsession, your craving for your desired king that you would elect to submit to the king who's already elected you, selected you, chosen you. I know we live in a democracy. We don't have kings. But it feels an awful lot in our political climate like we're worshiping these political leaders, doesn't it? So what does this mean for us? How do we answer this question? First, I think we have to do this. I think we have to name our cravings. I think we have to be really honest about the cravings that live within us. And when I was in college, about three blocks from my apartment was a Sheetz. Everybody say amen. And as often as I could afford it, I would be there ordering food way too late at night. And that Sheetz was always busy that time of night with college students, midnight snacks, midnight cravings. See, the cravings for food we have are always worse after dark, aren't they? Like, I actually found a chart this week that showed how our cravings break down based on time of day. Now, look at this. I want you to see this chart. Super complicated. So I made my simple version of this chart. I've got a clock for the PM. Go ahead to the next slide. This is what happens. There's a little lunch bag and a little dinner, and that's kind of the way my life works. The rest of the time is snack cravings. That's what that chart before was saying. We recognize that it's proven that we get hungriest at night, right? Around 8 p.m., our cravings of sweet, salty, starchy food increases dramatically. Do you know why? I learned why this week. We have this cortisol, this cool hormone that tells our liver to release sugar into our blood for energy. And because we don't need as much energy at night, cortisol decreases and tells us it's time to go to sleep. But when we stay up way too late, like 8.30, we're driven to compensate by eating sweet foods. Most scientists think this came from and would have helped our ancestors stay nourished when food was scarce. The problem is now it just helps us get overweight. That's the cravings that we live in. Here's the the thing. Our political cravings, I don't know if you notice this, our longings for our desired king, those are situational as well. Do you notice we don't start caring about these things until election season? Do you notice we don't crave all the political news until our social media feeds pop up with them? Do you notice how our cravings are often dictated by the media around us, telling us what we crave? But here's the other reality of this. Our, Our cravings also come because of our own lack of nourishment. 
See, it's not fair to only blame the news media and, and social media. We have to come clean about our fault in this. Intuitively, here's the reality. I know a midnight sheets run and a whole bag of candy corn are stupid decisions. I know that intuitively. My craving is situational. Yes, I'm up late. I'm studying. I'm at Kroger, <laughs> and, and I see the candy corn. It's Halloween, but my decision to pursue the craving, that's all on me. And here's the thing. If I was nourishing myself on something more substantial, I wouldn't be craving the false fulfillment. So let me ask you this. What are, what are your habits with Scripture? How often do you spend time pursuing the words, the very words of God, versus the words of Fox News or CNN or the New York Times, whatever your chosen media preference is. How are you nourishing yourself? What are your habits with prayer? What are your habits with silence? What are your habits with Sabbath and rest? See, these, those things are the nourishing elements of the Christian life. They satisfy our craving for kings by keeping us close to the king. We have to name our cravings. Here's the second thing I think we need to know is God will surrender us to our cravings. This is perhaps the hardest truth to consider from this passage today, but God will surrender us to our cravings. He's gentle. He's not weak, but he's gentle. See, I think much of what we see in the U.S. today and the scope of our own political climate and the self-seeking systems of empire and the fear, anger-based media engines is the natural consequences of our own pursuits of the king we think we want. I want you to hear this well. The blessing is also the curse. For too long, listen, and and hear this well, the blessing is the curse. For too long, we've celebrated the gift of our country. And friends, it is a gift, but we've celebrated the gift of our country as a place of freedom where our very declaration of independence states we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are, listen, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And the way we've celebrated this gift is that we've neglected the curse. For in this declaration, we held up the gift of a truth, emancipating ourselves from a king of England and never realizing that the curse was putting us under the kingship of self. We rejected one king to replace that king with ourself. We've become, corporately, a very selfish nation, a wealthy nation where scripture is proved right. The love of money is the root of all evil. And when we hear about liberty and the pursuit of happiness, what I think we believe it means is that it's our own self-happiness rather than the good of all humanity. Friends, take politics out of the conversation and you will still see the same principle throughout Scripture. God is gentle enough to surrender you to your cravings so that one day you might learn that your cravings will never fulfill you. In this season, where are you losing sight of God's authority? Where are you losing the peace that God promises? Where are you practicing idolatry as we talked about last week? Where are your cravings driving your life? Maybe it's in your political realm. And here's the final thing I want you to recognize today is the trouble with kings. Kings will always claim their rights. That's what this scripture teaches us. Kings will always claim their rights. Samuel's warning to the Israelites goes unheeded, but I hope that we don't miss it. With kings come empires. With empires come power. With power comes oppression and manipulation. It is the right of kings to oppress their people. And every empire that we've seen throughout history, every empire that was known as great in its time, carried with it kings who claimed their rights through the oppression and the exploitation of their people. Slavery is the machine of progress and profit. We may not have people in bondage in our country, but we have people in bondage to the spiritual powers that reign over us. 
work that segments class systems into the have-nots and the have-a-lots is driven by the kings. And this is the difficult piece. This exploitation always falls on the backs of those who originally asked for their king. The candy corn that we crave is the candy corn that will make us suffer. And friends, next week I'm going to walk with you through a teaching that I hope helps us filter our political positions and make wise decisions about the candidates and more importantly, the positions we hold to politically. I will not tell you how to vote, but I will help you process how you can engage the issues, how you can engage the things through a biblical lens. But to get there, we have to name our trouble with kings. See, before we ever get to policy, to voting, we have to name this trouble with kings honestly as it relates today. It is so, listen, It is so discouraging to me today to see, and please know I'm not speaking to anyone but my Christian brothers and sisters right now. It is so discouraging to see a community of believers who cannot name the problem of their kings. We have grown blind spots. We are the ones who suffered from the candy corn and went back to the store the next day only to buy another bag. I don't care who you vote for. If you're filtering your positions and your candidates through biblical truth, the leading of the Spirit, and your own conscience, vote with freedom. I trust God to work in and lead you. What I don't trust is what seems so prevalent today, an inability to call out, listen, prophetically, and as the priests were called to be, the shortcomings of our preferred kings. We could press into any campaign at any level, but, but let's take... Vice President Biden and President Trump, can we both endorse our preferred candidate and name their flaws? Can we do that intention? Some of you, you crave the king of your choice so much that you can't stand up against their flaws. Friends, President Trump may represent your positions well, but if you cannot honestly name the shortcomings of his character, his lack of demonstrated love for the people he considers losers, outcasts, and weak, and his ongoing drive to stir up more anger and hate, you are being dishonest about your own cravings. And Vice President Biden may have your vote, but to discard his own record of questionable behavior as both candidate and elected official because as many of you say, well, he's better than Trump, you are being dishonest about the trouble with kings. We have to name these things. And so I return to that question for you. Are you willing to sacrifice your desire, your obsession, your craving for the king you would elect to submit to the king who elected you? Friends, the people of God have always been called to a kingdom that supersedes the kings of this world. I know we live in a democracy, but the claim of our political systems and its leaders are no different than that of any absolute monarchy. In our polarized world, we face demands full of allegiance, the demonization of the opposing views, and a distrust of any who would question our preferred king or president or governor or mayor or dog catcher. I don't care. We have an obsession. But not to be that way for the followers of Jesus. We stand, friends, in between the resurrection and the renewal of all things. That is our time. We are taught to pray and expected to embody the kingdom of God on earth. We are the ones who dwell in the in-between, and we must live in that space, never growing too cozy or craving too strongly the kings that we think will rescue us. Instead, we live that calling of Exodus 14, where God encouraged his frightened people who were worried about taking, being taken back to slavery, do not be afraid. Friends, on November 3rd, do not be afraid. On November 4th and 5th and 6th and December 20th and then in 2024, do not be afraid. Our king is eternal, immortal, immortal. That's the king we serve. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still.
to be still. I wonder if Moses would say the same thing to those of us craving our king just a couple of weeks away from an election. Do not be afraid. Stand firm. My friends, fight against the cravings. Pray. Pray for our leaders. Pray and discern the political perspective God leads you to. Nourish yourself in God's word and rest in him. Vote, but also call out the hypocrisy at every side. Don't lose the prophetic voice that the church is called to embody. We cannot compromise the kingdom of God for the sake of a king that we think is going to lead us. Don't fall so in love with the candidate of your choice that you find yourself one day suffering from the consequences of your own cravings. I've got so much more to say and not enough time, and I think I've offended you all enough for the morning. So I'm going to have the band come. In Daniel 4, there's this verse, and I would encourage you, read the whole chapter, read the whole book, because the book of Daniel is this incredible intermix of an empire of Babylon and the people of God living in the midst of the empire and how do we stand up to the empire and not be, uh, become the empire? What does this look like? And in Daniel 4, there's this king being called out and God says this, and I love this phrase. He says, the most high is sovereign over all kingdoms. Say all kingdoms. On earth, and he gives them to anyone he wishes And he sets over them the lowliest of people. God knows he's not afraid of what's going to happen on election day. And he's still king. And he's still king. He's our king. And we live in his kingdom. And we live in between the resurrection and the renewal of all things. Let's stand and pray together.